A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Because now I'm evaluating a colleague of how they represent themselves in a digital space, right? And can they communicate their ideas and and can they sort of express themselves in a way that um, that is compelling to everybody else within the digital conference call, not in person, because that is that's sort of this nascent skill set that's never been a high priority before. But now it's a premium priority. Today we're talking to Kevin Potts, the DocuWare CMO, who's based in Germany, we're working for an American organisation, and obviously therefore working very much in a virtual environment. But what does it mean to a business when they are dispersed across the globe and we're talking about returning to an office? And what does it mean for the labour market? What might happen to the labour market as it contracts and faces up to new challenges? This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage. Joining me today, we've got Amber and we've got Akish. Amber, you've moved into a new place. Congratulations. Thank you. You haven't got a bed. You haven't got a sofa. No, I've got a sofa. I've got a sofa now. You've got got a sofa. You haven't got a bed. I was going to say, like, what's on your hit list of things to get? Oh, a, a bed definitely is good because my first night, as I said to you earlier, Dave, I was sleeping on the floor which was not comfortable at all. So, yeah, a, a bed would be very nice. Um, when you say floor, the mattress? No, just literally sleeping on the floor. It sounds like kind of like some acupuncture, good for you shit, like yogury type stuff. Just It is meant to be surely, good surely, you. surely you had like an air bed or something. No, no, literally it didn't come prepared <laughs> at all. So I, I said this um, earlier to someone, they were like, no, that's meant to be really good for your back. But if you lie straight, I reckon it probably is. But I was like so curled up in a ball that I actually think I've caused a lot of damage. So it probably didn't do very good for my back, in all honesty. But um, yeah, so a bed would be nice. So I don't have to do that again. (laughs) Or at least a mattress to start with. Well, yeah, something. Spend your money on a mattress rather than a frame, you know. Yeah, that's a good start. <laughs> Akish, Akish, you bought a house a year and a half ago. What's your top tip? I mean, lots of people are moving houses, so I think this is relevant for anyone listening. Uh, be ready for the little costs that come up when you move into a house, I think. Like little random bits. That you, yeah, so finances-wise, I'd say just have a little buffer budget. Uh, and second one, I'm not really sure. Just forget. Yeah, don't forget to not take your keys because I, I got locked out of my place on like the third day. Oh no! Um, I didn't. I didn't understand that the, that the door was very quick at kind of closing itself. So, but you don't realise that, do you? So I went to chuck the bins out. I went to do something. Next thing I know, I turn around and the door's going. Boop, 
like that. So I had to get locks with out, which was lovely. Um, three days in. Ooh. Three days in, yeah. And he and he and he literally when he rocked up, he went um he went, Oh, has this happened before then? I said, like, No, nah, I've just moved in. And he just kind of looked at me going, This guy seems a bit dodge. Um, <laughs> Is this your house? Um, yeah, exactly. He was just a bit like, hmm, okay. And he was like, so yeah. What I don't understand is when you move into a new place for the first time, the amount of keys that they give you. Oh, yeah. oh my God. I thought I'd Rentals, bought like four no. or five houses. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just like a pile of keys. Like this for this, this for this. Didn't listen to a word the guy was saying. So I don't know what any of the keys are for now. So I'm just going to try them and hope for the best. We legit have six copies of our backdoor key. I don't really know why. Hmm. True. But there we go. Anyway. Sorry, oh, also Andrew. learn how to bleed uh, radiators. Oh, that's a good Ooh. piece of advice because I don't know how to do yeah, that. Yeah, because I didn't know how to do that either. I had to, uh, I had to FaceTime my dad and he was explaining it to me. But apparently that was quite important. And uh, check all your appliances because, yeah, I had washing machine water running into the sink. But anyway, that's what happens when you move into houses and <laughs> the builders get things wrong. So you just get someone <laughs> get someone out to come and fix it. But, uh, yeah. No, that's some good advice. Good advice. Here we go. Well, Amber, congratulations. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, we'll get on to today's interview. Kevin Potts, DocUS CMO, will be back with some commentary afterwards. So today we're talking to Kevin Potts. Kevin, you're the CMO at DocUS. Thanks for taking some time to chat to me this morning. Yes, of course. Of course, it's a pleasure. Now, LinkedIn sometimes throws me a curveball. It, it suggests that you're based in Bavaria, Germany. Let's just double check that's the case. That is that is actually true. Uh, American, but I have uh, living the expat life. Uh, for the past three years. How did you, had you kind of been to Germany much before you moved out there? No, not at all. I, I, I was a sort of a blind, blind bet on my side. I had started with DocuWare and their American corporation and, but really the, their headquarters are here in Germany. So it was, uh, you know, in order to, to, in order to sort of get things done and, and to be part of the decision-making process, it just made sense to, to relocate to Germany and, and still hold a worldwide purview yeah well anyone who's not familiar i mean bavaria is beautiful uh, yes, and you've got the, you've beautiful. got the alps on your on your doorstep so that's that's a bonus yeah we spent the weekend uh, down in the alps with beautiful beautiful weather and it's um the 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 people in munich and bavaria are very lucky to have that less than an hour away it's it's right there and it's it's stunning it really is stunning for people that haven't been yeah yeah absolutely anyway look let's let's talk about docuware who who are docuware yeah, DocuWare is a, is a company that does document management and workflow automation software. They've been around for quite a while, over 30 years at this point, and they were started here in Bavaria, here in Germany, right outside of Munich, and they've since expanded over the over the last couple of years worldwide. Uh, big presence in the U.S., also big presence in France, Spain, U.K., and uh, a couple other Western European countries, and and slowly. Expanding worldwide through our through our partner network. So we are we have customers in just about every country on earth, and we have uh, partners in about a hundred countries selling to to just about anybody. So it's um, yeah, it's nice. We've got about fifteen thousand active customers and growing steadily year over year. And as, as CMO of the business, kind of what what are the main priorities that you've got at the moment? You know, in terms of in terms of your inbox and 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 I suppose the goals over the next three to six months. 
Yeah, I think um, I think there's probably three big ones. The the first one is just the overall brand of DocuWare and making sure that how we're represented in the marketplace is reflective of what uh, people expect to see when they're buying from a from a from an organization and uh, from a technology organization. There's also just supporting our sales team with uh, you know overall demand generation efforts, which is which is a topic that never goes away. I mean, everybody's always hungry for leads, so that's you know, for marketing people, they understand. And then most of our most of our revenue actually comes through our partners. So we spend quite a bit of time with enabling partners with sales materials and webinars and all sorts of different things to make them successful since, um, yeah, since they're really the backbone of our organization. So look, you, you moved three years ago, as you said, to be closer to the business to no doubt have those relationships in person with people. And then a third of your time, um, you've been at home, uh, not seeing your colleagues, but in Germany. How has that transition been? Well, I mean, I was lucky in the fact that I did have two years to spend with my colleagues. And, 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 And it's absolutely true. I have spent the last year sitting at my desk, looking out my window and not at other people and spending most of my days just in video conference calls and and email and things like that. And I think, you know, I was, I was fortunate in the sense that I was able to build a strong bond with, with my colleagues in the office for a couple of years. Um, And I think, you know, for, for our organization as a whole, it's been, a relatively painless transition transition to mostly work from home. Um, our office is open, but you know there are some people that go in on a semi-regular basis, and there is a lot of people that just opt to work from home 100% of the time. And we, uh, as I was describing before, since we're a global organization, and I have employees in the U.S. and France and other places, you know, communicating with people over over Teams meetings or email or whatever is is just second nature. I mean, it, even if your colleagues are not in Germany, we're still talking to somebody remote at some point, somewhere, almost every single day. So mm. that's sort of second nature for our organization. But now it just becomes a sense of you just never leave your house. You know, everybody's always remote all the time. You said there that your office is open and there are some people who can go in. Obviously, yeah. some countries are at different stages of of dealing with the pandemic to, to others. And no doubt if you were working and living, say, in Australia or New Zealand right now, uh, but you're a business with colleagues in the UK or, or uh, the US, they're going through radically different experiences. And is there that danger that where some people are back in the office – there isn't a level playing field anymore. For a while, it was almost universally everyone was at home and therefore there weren't the challenges that some people were in the room, but not everybody. That may be, that may be true for some organizations, but I think um, I can only speak for DocuWare specifically. And I would say that we are so accustomed to, to a distributed workforce and to a remote workforce, and we're so used to using the tools that enable, you know, processes and communication to happen between a distributed workforce, 
that I wouldn't necessarily see an advantage or disadvantage of going into the office. I think the, to be honest with you, I think the primary advantage of people going into the office is for the peace and quiet. Because, you know, a lot of colleagues, you know, they're home, their kids are home from school, because at least here in Bavaria, you know, the schools have not reopened, at least, or partially reopened at the time of this interview. Of course, that may change at any point. But yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of people that just go into the office because because no one else is in the office and they go in there for peace and quiet. And And it's kind of weird that it's kind of flipped around like that, but it's just, well, we live in weird times. So. Do you think you, you can envisage a situation where you are predominantly back in the office? Or do you think now that we've been out of the office for so long? I mean, if you kind of go on, again, if you go on LinkedIn, there's a message from DocuWare about COVID-19. And it says, you know, it states DocuWare employees worldwide working almost remote, sorry, almost 100% from home since mm-hmm. March 2020. Um, how, how uh, after, after, after a year of this, how, how much can we return to a, to a situation that we were in before COVID happened? I think, I don't know for sure. It's really, I mean, this is not a clear crystal ball. This is a very muddy crystal ball. And I I think there are a couple different things that will happen. There are people that definitely have a very strong appetite for going back into the office because they crave that in-person communication. And and even I share a part of that because as a manager, responsible for for a big portion of my team that's right here in in, uh, the Munich area, you know, that in-person communication is very difficult to replicate in in digital space. And But I do think long-term, it will sort of shift our corporate policy where work from home, where before it was, you know, on an as-needed basis or maybe one day a week or, you know, a very typical policy. It wasn't out of the normal at all. You know, will shift to more accommodate people. Um, if they want to work from home for a stronger period of time, because now we have tons of evidence that the business can be as successful as as it has always been, even in sort of a distributed way. Maybe not optimal in terms of day-to-day communication and, you know, sort of just running into colleagues at the water cooler, so to speak, and, and just sort of having ad hoc communication. But just in terms of business efficiency, it's not far away from where we were. It's just different. You mentioned there that you you've obviously you're obviously a manager. You're managing um, a team of people, and and as we know, the people might have slightly different expectations about what's what what they'd like to do once we kind of are in the situation of having a choice. But when you're hiring someone now, how do you set that person's expectations? Someone new coming into an organisation, how do you how do you try and bring people in right now uh, when when I suppose it's it's an it's an incredibly different situation to the one than when you were probably last hiring. Yeah, it really is. It really is a different situation, and I think there's probably a lot of other companies and hiring managers that are that are that are nodding their head right now because hiring people remotely is quite a different experience than hiring people in person. And I, our company has been hiring lately because we're just we're just in a growth cycle right now. And and I had the opportunity to hire a new colleague. Uh, here, here in the German office, um, just a couple of weeks ago, and or they—I'm sorry—they started a couple of weeks ago, but the hiring process obviously is, you know, three to six months in front of that. And can I can I jump in very quickly? Yeah, yeah, when you, sure. you said something there that's quite interesting. Here in the German office, so you're still you're still thinking in terms of that ge- geographical kind of definition. 
Yeah, I mean, because eventually we will we will come back and see one another, and uh, hopefully share a coffee with one another. And and you know, DocuWare is very fortunate, and then we have a we have a very new, beautiful office um, just outside of Munich. And so there is there is definitely an appetite to come back um, because we have a beautiful headquarters to work within. And and so a lot of the hiring that we're doing is around the Munich area. Of course, we have people also in the U.S. and France and some other countries, but um, it, it, it is still a headquarters centric organization. And I know there's other companies that are, you know, going in the opposite direction, right? They're like, you know, companies in San Francisco are, you know, are selling off their buildings or breaking up their leases. And they're, you know, the, you know, there's a lot of people moving out of the city into other parts of the country, which is partially driven by cost of living, but also partially driven by the fact that they can now work remotely. Mm. Um, but but DocuWare is 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 not like that, and I don't see that changing. And that's just that's just our culture, and I think our culture is stronger because of our headquarter centric nature. But we just have strong leadership that says, you know what, for the time being, it's perfectly fine to work from home. You know what I mean? But at some point, we will come back together. And but I can I can tell you, David, that hiring somebody in a remote fashion is is really weird. You know what yeah. I mean? Because you know, even before, you know, we were, I would do a lot of first interviews over the phone. And of course you're doing that, right? Especially when I was hiring American colleagues from Germany, a lot of it's done over the phone. But even when I was hiring Americans from Germany, I would fly to the US to do my final round of interviews in person, you know? And, and it's, and it's no different in Germany where like all of the, all of the second or third round of interviews were in person. But now that's just not possible. And so the person we hired was actually hired fully or the entire interview process was done 100% remote. What do you think, sorry, what do you think that in-person element adds? Because you are absolutely not alone that, you know, everyone would want to meet that candidate at the final stage. But I'm just intrigued as to what it specifically is that makes that something that everyone is keen to do. It's difficult to put your finger on, but it's sort of the intangibles, right? It's it's the body language. It's how someone is able to communicate in person. It's if you click in, in you know, if you sort of have a chemical click in meet space. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's it's not necessarily a um, it's not necessarily a desire based in some sort of logic, right? It's sort of based in this imperative of can I get along with this person in the real world? And, mm. and that's really difficult to replicate over the digital space. And we were just very, I mean, I was very personally very lucky in our, in our last hiring round where, because now I'm evaluating a colleague of how they represent themselves in a digital space, right? And can they communicate their ideas and, and can they sort of express themselves in a way that, um, that is compelling to everybody else within the digital conference call, not in person, because that is that's sort of this nascent skill set that's never been a high priority before, but now it's a premium priority. And I would be really reluctant to hire somebody that could not present themselves well over a digital space because that is now a key skill set that, that, that's required. 
That's interesting because I, I mean I was having a short a chat yesterday rather sorry with uh, a couple of leaders who were talking about the fact that um, some people are more comfortable putting their video on than others, and I don't know whether you know what 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 makes someone a good communicator versus someone who's not a good communicator. But people who were in environments where they felt uneasy about you know for a lot of people the virtual background was 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 a big kind of um, moment because they did feel quite uneasy about sharing their personal surroundings. They weren't as comfortable putting their video on. Interestingly enough, it, it was, if you look at the demographics, younger people would typically, and this is obviously, um, these are large, broad statements, but younger people were typically happier with their video on than older people. Men were typically happier with their with their video on than women. And it's like, I totally get what you're saying around around the communication thing, but is there also that slight element that you've got to be aware of inclusivity and and how people might feel about about this particular format? Yes, yes, and, and absolutely, and not everybody can be on video at all times for a number of different reasons, and they can be they could be technical reasons, they could be personal reasons, they could be any number of reasons, and an organization just has to flex to accommodate people. I think the bottom line is communicating via group conference calls is just harder than it is to communicate as a group in person. And everybody on the call has to pay attention a little bit harder, has to work a little bit harder to get their ideas across, has to be a little bit more patient for their turn to talk. And it just requires more cognitive effort to be successful in those digital spaces than it does to be in person where there's a lot of body language and expressions and other things that communicate nuance that you're just never going to get in a Mm -hmm. digital space. And, And as long as the person, even if they're not on video, to your point, which is sometimes a personal choice and sometimes you just have no choice. Um, it's still, I still need them to work hard to be an active participant, right? That's the only way the business can be successful because if, if everybody just gets on video or if everybody just joins a meeting then and just ignores the content, then why are we even here? Mm-hmm. Look, last quick question I'd love to ask you. Obviously, you're you're an American, but you're in Germany. Um, so I suppose you've, you've got a view. You probably keep half an eye on what's going on in the States, possibly closer than... than- some of the rest of us do. Um, what, what do you think is coming out of the EU, of Switzerland, of the UK, of Europe as a whole, that's that's interesting or different, I suppose, from what's coming out of the US? Do you, do you see kind of there being uh, slight um, benefits to this particular way of working that certain certain cultures seem to be latching onto and 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 using to their advantage? I I would give you. I would give you my perspective, and this is sort of based on my gut instinct as, you know, an American that worked in the U.S. for decades, and then, you know, sort of what I see happening in the EU. And I I think this transition will be easier for the U.S. I just think there's a lot of American companies that are perfectly happy, or we're already moving in this direction pretty actively with the remote workforce. And a lot of people will see it as cost cutting and and some other reasons for that. But there's a lot of companies that are just like, yeah, it'll it'll be fine. I think the the pressure on European organizations is a little bit different because the demographics 
of Europe are changing, like the, the labor force, you know, in 10 years from now will be smaller than what it is now. And unless European comp and, and this is this is Europe wide, I'm not picking on Germany at all. It's it's really the entire EU and the UK and our neighbors, is you know, unless there's more of an open mind to immigration and unless there is uh, a much more active role in technology training and unless um, there's a much more open mind to enabling a remote and distributed workforce, it's going to be very difficult for, for companies to, to continue to succeed in the way they have before because like there's this this shrinking labor force and there's this massive concentration in labor and sort of what you would what you would think of as sort of the mega cities like London and, and Paris and Berlin and and uh, Barcelona and a couple other ones. And if that's where the talent is and that's where your company is not, you just have to think really hard and work a little bit extra harder in order to compete with, with people that are there. And I think the, I just think Europe faces a slightly different set of challenges than the U S does with the shrinking labor pool the the need for immigration and um, and the need for faster training, you know, I, I just think the EU needs to step up its its sort of digital transformation for its entire citizenship and not just mm. not just for the elite, you know, companies, you know, the Fortune 100 companies. Anyway, well, Kevin, it's, it's it's been fascinating to talk to you. I'm really very uh, appreciative of you giving up some time this morning. Um, Fingers crossed uh, you do manage to get that message out about DocuAir. Um, and I hope you do get back into the office and, and, and have that coffee with people soon. But uh, thanks for your time on today's show. Thank you, David. We appreciate it. Thank you. Plenty of interesting uh, stuff in here. Plenty of stuff, I, I suppose, that everyone can relate to at the moment, uh, especially when it comes to the whole return to work piece. Um, I like the fact that he said, you know, it's about an organization having to to flex to accommodate its people. Um, but it does make me think just how much leadership we need at the minute, because if we just leave it down to employees, it could be become a bit of an unholy mess in about three months' time. Hmm. I think also it didn't – I think – well, maybe it was a conversation we knew had, Dave, but I don't know if it was on the pod. But it was all about the role of middle management as well. And over the pandemic, it was like that – kind of layer between senior manager and, and kind of the, let's say, the normal workforce, those roles were just getting more and more extinct. So I don't know if if now with people kind of coming back into the office and stuff, I don't know if that kind of layer becomes a bit more important, right, to be a, a buffer between kind of having proper management or a bit of direction, a bit of leadership in terms of kind of getting back to how things were. I don't know. I don't, yeah, it's funny because like – Obviously, your manager was always important, hmm. but for a lot of people, your manager has become like your sole point of contact with an organization, really. Like when we were in the office, you used to walk past your manager's manager's desk and you might have a word with them. You don't have that random passing with like two or three levels up in an organization, just in a corridor or in hmm. a kitchen anymore. All of your correspondence is through that direct line manager pretty hmm. much. So they've been really important for the last year. And all of a sudden we're going to go back to an environment where I, I don't know. I don't know. Like they're, they're, that, that, I suppose that role is the one that's been through the most change over the last year. 
I suppose they had to be anyway, but people have just become like self-sufficient. Like you've just, as you say, obviously you have to reach out to your direct line manager and that's probably your sole point of contact, but you wouldn't, probably wouldn't make a point of reaching out to like the person above them. As you've said, you would just sort of, you know, if you, you just sort of get on with it, don't you really? I think people have just learned to adapt and just learned to just get on with things. So as you say, is, is that role as important? I don't know, maybe not. How do you feel about it, Amber? Right, because to be perfectly blunt, you you, you joined Harvey Nash what a year before? Sorry, a year, a week before lockdown, right? So yeah. you never really built up relationships with people in person. No, not at all. So I had yeah, it was actually like four days in the office, and then on that, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. Obviously, there was the announcement of going work from home, and I was so, as I said to you earlier, I was pretty much under the idea of this is going to be for like two weeks or so this will be a laugh. I'll see you guys online. And then obviously a year later, we're kind of still here. And yeah, so I, I don't know. I found it, I found it strange. And I think I agreed with the point that he made, or it might have been you had made that it's hard to sort of build up a natural conversation in like the sort of like these kind of circumstances in like Zoom or Teams or whatever it is. Mm. Like if you had a natural conversation in an office or you know, if you just sort of bump into someone, it is just very much like back and forth. It's not, you know, it's quite informal. It's not sort of like a, a structured kind of setup. Whereas if you jump onto a Teams or Zoom call, you pretty much just kind of get the conversation going, you get to business, you sort of just get to the point and then you just jump off again. And there isn't really any sort of chit chat like there would be in the office. So That social thing's massive though. Like that, I think that's the thing that I've struggled with the most, if I'm honest. Like, yeah. you know, th- those that listen to this that work with, like, you know, I'm, I'm always giving some banter about someone's outfit or someone's hair or dodgy haircut or something like that. And, and you can't really do that on Teams or you can't. Yeah, do I should have this year as well. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, no, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's you, you just can't have that banter with people and you can't you can't have a friendly conversation unless you know them. Right. But even 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 the ones that, you know, really well, it's a bit like. Uh, everyone is—I don't know—it it just seems like that everyone's kind of behaviour, not intentionally. It's just we've had to adapt, right? And we've had to change. But it's all been right. Ten o'clock, you know, we're meeting about this. You get on the call. Hi, hi, hi. Yep, yeah, cool. Down to it, bang. And that, like Amber said, it's just straight to business, and then that's it. No chit chat. And I think that social element. If I'm honest with you, I think that will also be quite hard to build back up, really. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I was having a talk with with a with a friend of mine over the weekend and you know with the kind of relaxation of, of rules and you can now kind of meet to i think what someone from another household outside or whatever it's, it's, it's rule of six or yeah. two households i don't really two, two ha- yeah yeah yeah. so something that like that but, like, is that eight people from two out there anyway mind. yeah but we we were we were talking about it and and kind of saying how it would just be weird like a little bit now because you know you you don't really know kind of you know how people are feeling you don't know you know if people are ready just to to kind of come back into things and be like oh yeah guys like you know we ain't met up for for a year and a bit like what's going on like do you know and then yeah. people might change and they might not find certain tell things you, funny tell you what's really weird. i'll tell you what's really weird as well like um the case you're an f1 fan aren't you yeah have you seen the new series of drive to survivors out uh yeah i've only seen two episodes i think it's the first episode which is all about the cancelled Australian GP of 2020. Yeah. You're kind of watching it going, oh, that's weird. Mm. No one's got masks on. They're all hugging each other and they're all talking and joking. They're all kind of joking about coronavirus at first. And yeah. you're like, oh, that's odd. 
Um, and yeah. I'm sure it won't be weird. Like, I'm sure very quickly we'll get back to normal. But it's really strange watching docuseries from, like, the beginning of the of the pandemic and how people reacted to it. Mm. Yes, yeah, I'm the same as you. If I see anything with a crowd now, like in a film or something, I'm like, oh, my God, like, what are they doing? Like, and obviously they're allowed to do it, like, but it's just, it just looks weird. And I think it just to get back to that will just be really strange. But yeah. just, just going back to the point that you made, Akish, as well, like, yeah, the whole sort of team Zoom setup to to just jump in and because when you're in like a natural conversation, like say you're like with a group of mates, everyone just kind of chips in and jumps in, and it just it all sort of overflows and it doesn't really matter. But yeah. with this, if you kind of interrupt someone, or you're a bit more like reluctant to jump in because it is, I don't know, it just the setup just makes you feel a bit sort of like quiet, or you just you wouldn't do it. Like if you're on a Teams or Zoom call with like. 50 odd people or whatever you're not going to be the one to suddenly get your camera on and pipe up and overtake the meeting it's just there is there is going to be a lot of sussing out when we go back into a physical working environment like i feel like i know you to a degree amber i don't think we've ever had a a conversation in in person no no we haven't like plenty of times over calls and stuff but like (laughs) it's just a bit random like actually when you stop and think about it you go well, that's quite weird, actually. Yeah, um, it is. And do you know what I found really weird? The couple of days that we did come back into the office over summer, this sounds so strange. I didn't, obviously, I knew people must have like a bottom half, but I just couldn't picture it. I just like, I'd see people. And I was like, oh my God, like that person's shorter <laughs> than what I thought. Or that person like doesn't look like I, they would have thought. Because you're just so used to just seeing like, obviously, just the top half of people. So that to me is going to be strange. When I see someone's full body, I'm going to be like, Oh my god! Akisha's six five, by the way. Is it? Six, five. <laughs> six five, right? Ripped to shreds. <laughs> Absolute Adonis over here. They they call me the Adonis of South East London, actually. Uh, <laughs> for any for any listeners, if you want to look that up on Instagram, feel free to. Uh, yeah. Well, if they me. Google the Adonis of South East London, <laughs> the Adonis of South East London. Yeah, Akisha yeah, just pops it. up. That's it. That's it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do think it's interesting though what Kevin has to say about the fact that he thinks that businesses, uh, sorry, that Europe needs to be more open-minded to immigration to enable remote and distributed workforce. He talks about a shrinking labor force and a concentration of that workforce in mega cities. And then he talks about the fact that if the talent is there and you're not, you have to work harder to compete. Kind of makes me think that even if a lot of the London-based businesses go back to being like predominantly three, four, five days a week, if there's a whole load of other businesses in like, Liverpool, Leeds, Manchester, Nottingham, who are like, no, we're going to stay remote because it enables us to compete with talent. It's going to affect the London businesses because even if they're like, no, we want you in the office, you could you could go work for a company in Manchester from your living room and you've still got the flexibility and the choice and that's going to affect the entire talent market. Mm. And there's been a massive shift to that, I think. Um, and, and we've seen that obviously given our kind of day jobs, um, which is hard as it is to believe we're not professional podcasters. Um, if we like the, the, the clients that are hiring now within certain fields, uh, you know, they are in Northern Ireland or they're kind of abroad in Europe, but they're saying, look, you know, we're, we're very, very happy for this person to be anywhere in the world. Obviously given certain time, um, time zone kind of um, constraints or whatever, but they're very kind of open to, you know, having a whole new talent um, kind of market. But also I, I think where it benefits organizations is they now can afford to pay less because, 
they are reaching out to new new markets and new areas. So now, for example, a role within an investment bank in London does not need you to be in a Canary Wharf high riser Monday to Friday, five days a week, right? So you can you can be in the north of England and you can get paid a comparative rate or salary, um, but still be part of the same team, do the same work and have the same kind of, you know, um, I, I guess kind of career progression, um, which benefits, I guess, the person who's doing the job, but also the client because they save a bit of money, but still get the right amount of workforce, right? Um, mm. But then I think where the di- what well, I, th- I think where the difficulty would come in is with the local organ or with the local talent. So if you are in in London and you're expected and have been at a certain salary benchmark for a number of years, what's going to happen to you now? Because you can't demand that salary for another organization. Let's say in the northeast, northwest, whatever. Um, so I kind of yeah I agree to the point you just end up becoming quite kind of congested into into sort of one area do you know what I mean mm. I think but it's um it's going to be interesting it's going to be interesting I think the net I think the next five six months will, will show us a lot about where organizations because at, at the start of it quite funny like this time last year right it was all about how how are we going to adapt how are we going to you know, look after our workforce, how are we going to make sure we're kind of keeping up to date with, um, you know, everything that's going on and no one really knew what's happening. Whereas now everyone kind of knows what happened, what we did well, what we didn't do so well. And I think now it's almost like the reintegration phase of Mm. can we keep, you know, our workforce happy and stuff. And a lot of organizations, I think we'll see some labor turnover massively because I I just think they won't be able to adapt to, what the needs are of employees yeah. now, yeah, I think. Um, I think businesses that will go, I mean, I don't think many will go back anyway, but businesses that do go back like five days a week and don't show any flexibility probably will lose like a lot of people. Do you know what I mean? Because if yeah. they know that they can do the same job for probably like similar money and, mm. and work from home if they like all the time if they really want to or, yeah. you know, even have like a nice hybrid kind of balance, then they're not going to go back to a company yeah. where yeah. they're just going in five days a week just for the sake of it when they know they yeah. can do the same job, like from their front mm. room, kitchen, wherever it may be. Yeah. So do you know what? Someone on LinkedIn, right? A few, I think it was a few weeks ago, put this article up about flexibility in the workplace. It's, it's quite good. I'll, I'll try finding it again and we'll see if we can share it in the notes, Dave. But they basically described it as sat-nav in cars. Like if you remember when uh, we didn't have a kind of built-in sat-nav system in cars or even like a screen that has all your multimedia and cars that were like having sat-navs in and, and you know, people were saying, oh, look at that. Like how, how cool is that? You just type in a postcode and it takes you there and you don't need to, you know, do this. You don't need to start doing you know, loads of kind of route mapping or whatever. They were basically saying how it's just been the natural progression. And anyone that doesn't kind of, I don't know, stay up to date with what's happening, mm. um, because the flexibility side, I think what they were saying is it's just going to be a standard now. Like, you know, yeah. you go out and buy a new car, <clears throat> you, or even a car that's a few years old, it will have a, a built-in sat-nav kind of system, right? Mm. Um, and that's what they were saying about the flexibility in the workplace, having you know, to manage your own time as compared to being on the organization's time. Um, And they were basically saying how if any organization is still under a rock and believes that it's their decision and not the workforce's decision, they're just, you know, kind of, I guess, gearing towards, um, I guess, failure quicker than quicker than they, um, they think. So 
interesting read that was. Yeah. Try and share it. This oh, you yeah, got, I'll try and find it. You got a oh, few yeah, hours. I'll try it. <sighs> got to scroll back a few days though. Didn't <laughs> <laughs> what a hardship, mate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you, Kevin, for being our guest. Uh, Akish, Amber, congrats on the house, but thanks Thank for joining you. us. Uh, today, no, and the way you said that is that we haven't bought a house together. Yeah, I know. It sounds like, yeah, we're like roommates. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. I mean, Amber would love to right. live with me, but yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> You're very quick to jump in there, Akish, and distance yourself. I mean, <laughs> social distance, uh, mate. <laughs> we. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back on Friday. I don't care. I'm not going.